0: This morning we move on in this series of messages that I am doing on the Ten Commandments. And today we, we've been counting those down backwards, right? So we started at ten and going backwards, which means as we back up today, we are, we are up to the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Now I have to confess that I don't know that I myself have heard too many sermons on the subject of adultery, And I'm not sure you have either. It it seems to be one of those issues and one of those topics that, can we be honest, we'd rather avoid it. Yes? But I've committed to work through this series of the Ten Commandments, and here it is. It's a part of God's Word part of his instruction for us. And, and here's what we see, okay? So in and, and the messages that we've seen so far, for the ones that we've been starting with 10 and backing up, we have seen a pattern, haven't we? A pattern that says, you know what? Not only do these messages have a negative prohibition, don't do this, but we've seen in every single one of these so far that there is also a positive affirmation. So here's what you should do. In that, place, that there's more within that commandment than just don't do this and don't do that. It's gonna, we're going to see that today too, this same thing. So here's my encouragement, all right? So before anyone checks out because you think, oh, adultery, well, that doesn't have to do with me, stay tuned, all right? Because we're going to see that within this commandment there is so much more than just an instruction on pure ethical sexual behavior, but it has to do with how God sees our bodies and how we use our bodies and how we do that together. And it's not just for married people, but single people as well. So that comes through on this. We're going to see that today. So today, for this passage in particular, I'm, I'm going to bump us forward into the New Testament we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 6, the letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, and these few words then that will connect back to that seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Here's what Paul has to say about that in 1 Corinthians 6. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will... Not be mastered by anything, you say. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So not that many sermons on the topic or the issue or the subject of adultery. Something that, all right, we, we tend to avoid that. And maybe we all have different reasons for that. right? Maybe we think, well, you know, this one maybe doesn't apply to me the way some of the others might apply. Maybe because, if we're honest about it, the church doesn't exactly have the best track record here. I mean, historically, I think that the church has pointed their finger and, and had some strong words of correction and condemnation for promiscuous sexual behavior. But research would show us that that kind of behavior is just as prevalent among Christians than it is among non-believers. And I think it wouldn't be too hard for us to recognize that when it comes across on our radars as well. If you were alive back in the 80s, maybe you remember that, uh, that some superstar televangelists such as Jerry Falwell or Jim Baker both had their careers come to ruin by scandal of adulterous relationships, where the Roman Catholic Church, over the past several years, has had to confront and deal with the reality of some pretty horrific sexual abuse among some members of its clergy. So Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, and, and you know what? Paul is writing this not to the people outside the church, not to the community at large out there, not to the pagans who lived out there Paul writes this to the members of his church there. It's instruction he has for people inside the church. So that should be instructive for us, what Paul is telling us in this. So I want us to work through this then in ways that that help us understand this, not just in the sense of what we see on the surface that the seventh commandment might be telling us, but what's deeper inside, because I think that's what Paul is getting after something that doesn't just apply to the relationships of married couples, but for all people in whom God, the Holy Spirit, resides within us. All right, a few things that help us then that put this into a little bit of context. Something about Corinth first that helps make sense of what Paul is talking about. The city of Corinth, where Paul planted a church, Corinth especially was a place that was notorious for prostitution. It was common and accepted everywhere in that city. In fact, it was, it was an incorporated business in that city. That's why you, you read what Paul writes in this using some of their own words, right? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, you say. Well, that's confusing, but, but here's what he's getting at, right? He's saying, you know what? Your body was made to eat. It needs nutrition. Everybody eats... So that's why we have grocery stores on the corner, things like that. It's a part of our world, a part of our society, because it's what the body does. That's where the Corinthians would have gone with this. They would have said the same thing. Everybody is sexual, so why shouldn't it be a part of our everyday life and culture and have that be a part of who we are? That was the Corinthian mindset that they generally accepted that kind of asexual lifestyle. That's what Paul is writing into in Corinth. So he gives some instruction on that, and, and that's why he's very particular in the words that we see in this passage to call out prostitution, right? Because that was a particular niche in Corinth that he was addressing. But he goes on from there, and he frames this issue a little bit differently, doesn't he? He frames the issue in a way that not only do we see God's call or design for sexual behavior, but but it's a call for a design that sees us in the way that God has created us to be in physical relationship in general. All of our physical relationships, we see God's design in that. So let's dig a little bit further into this. Let's see what really is coming out of this. And, and I want to do that by beginning with the way that we have been created for relationship. If you were to go all the way back to Genesis 1 and you read about the creation, God makes Adam and Eve and he makes them together to be in relationship. Relationship to himself as well as each other. That's one of those unique characteristics of creation that we see in People in human beings, that God created human beings in particular to be in relationship with Him. We were created for that. God reveals Himself in that way too, doesn't He? That God calls Himself our Heavenly Father. He uses family language to describe that. Jesus calls Himself our brother. Family language. So not just relationship as in, you know, it's a cordial association. No, it's family relationship. Tight, close, intimate. You know, there's a couple features that we see that come through this then, that show up in this. Consider the ways that God talks about this, and I'll I'll give you three examples from the Old Testament where we see this language coming through. In Jeremiah 31, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, he says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. In Isaiah 49, God says to the prophet Isaiah, he says this, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And David, King David, writes in Psalm 103, he says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God reveals himself to be one who has relationship with us, with the people he created. Not just any relationship, but a close relationship. Look at the two features that come through this, that we see about this relationship that God has created and called us to be in. We see that it is, first of all, a relationship that is intimate, an intimate relationship. It uses that family language that he knows us so closely, so personally, so nearly. But secondly, note this too, that that we see that it is a covenant relationship. Right? It's a relationship which God founds upon promises. I have loved you with an everlasting love. A relationship that God makes a covenant promise to hold close to himself. Those two features we see in the way that God reveals how our relationship with him goes forward. That's important to see. That's important for us to note because we see that expression of relationship then show up as echoes in our relationships with one another. That the way that God has called us to be in relationship with him has within our world around us echoes where it shows up with one another as well. So this commandment in particular, the commandment that, that forbids adultery, is a commandment that, that points us to see something positive and something beautiful as well. Right? It, it's, it's a commandment that reminds us that, you know what? There is no greater expression of intimacy between two people than sex. And there is no expression of covenant between two people more fundamental than Than marriage. So that's why the church has historically always said and taught that the the sexual relationship is a relationship that God is designed to take place within marriage because intimacy and covenant are tied together. Whenever I do premarital counseling for, for couples for whom I will officiate a wedding, we talk about that and go through that. We talk about the way in which our physical relationship together as a married couple also includes covenant, that those things are inseparably tied together. Not just because God says so or because we made up that rule, but, but because those things are an echo of how God has relationship with us. They remind us and point us to the relationship which God has created us to have with Him. So when we live within those boundaries, we live in ways where we see and experience something of an echo of that relationship that God desires and calls for us to. Now, before I get too far into that, you know, I, I think a, a pause and a word of caution here that it's not just for married people. So, so please don't walk away from this and think that somehow I'm saying, you know, married people get something more holy than single people get. Or, or married people somehow understand a relationship with God in ways that single people never could. That's not the case. Because it's not the marriage relationship that makes us holy or in relationship to God. It, it's just a way that echoes the relationship which God establishes and desires to have with each one of us. And we see that show up there. Because after all, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Corinthians, was, was a single unmarried man. Right? He's speaking on behalf of himself there as well. that it applies to every single one of us. So, this relationship that we see come through from the time of creation, a relationship that ties together intimacy and covenant, how do we see that play itself out in us and in our world today? I would say, you know what, there's something more than spiritual happening here. More than spiritual. Even though, even though I acknowledge there are passages that tell us God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But, but think about that for a moment, okay? That when we worship even, we have some physical things that we do, right? When we pray, often isn't it our habit to either fold our hands or close our eyes or bow our head? We, or when we sing, we don't just hum along in our head, but we speak those words in song out together. Sometimes some of us have the practice of raising a hand when we worship, that we physically participate in this as well. So our relationship with God is more than just a spiritual relationship. But our bodies are a part of that too, in how God has created us. Paul brought that through in this passage as well. Did you notice that? He says, and you will be raised. Christ will raise us in the last day. You know, sometimes maybe we, we make that mistake that, you know, the, that the part of us that gets saved is maybe just the soul, right? That when we die to be with Jesus, that, that it's just our soul that's saved. And, 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 and we, forget, we forget that last line of the Apostles' Creed. Right? The line that says, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. That God has created us with bodies. He's created us as having more than just a soul. So the body is just as much a part of who God has created us to be as the soul is. Paul then, when he talks about this, he describes our union with God, our relationship with God, the way that God expresses to have relationship with us. Paul, in this passage, describes that using the exact same one flesh language that the Old Testament uses to talk about marriage, right? And you find that throughout Scripture. You find, for example, in the prophet Hosea. If you read the book of Hosea, Hosea is all about a story in which God himself, through the prophet, describes his relationship to Israel as a marriage, like a marriage. How often in the New Testament is the church referred to as the bride of Christ? A marriage. That we speak of the feast when God creates all things new, the feast, the banquet, is described as a wedding feast in which God unites us to himself. That there is this wedding language all over the place, this marriage language all over the place in the Bible when God talks about the way he has relationship to us. And it's not just spiritual but he's talking about all of who he's created us to be, body and soul, together. So what we see in that then is, even though we may be tempted sometimes to think, you know, if I just keep my soul pure before God, if I just keep my spirit pure before God because that's the part of me that God will save, we make a mistake then, don't we? We fail to recognize that, What we do with our bodies dishonors God when we use our bodies in ways that fail to echo God's covenant intimacy with us. So we see in this commandment then that there's a call for us then not only to live according to a particular sexual ethic, but it's a call in the way that each one of us is to see and use our bodies in relationship with one another we use who we are in relationship with others in ways that echo that relationship that we have with God. Paul brings this out. He says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a temple of the Holy Spirit, there are ways that you can live that echo what it means to have God reside within you. I'm I'm flying solo this weekend meaning my my family is all up in Ludington visiting extended family. So they left Friday afternoon, and, and I've been living alone at the house the last two days. Which means when I get home after church, there's a few things that I will have to do before they get home this afternoon. Maybe you can guess, right? All right, there's dirty dishes in the sink. I'll load those into the dishwasher, all right? I'll wipe down the kitchen counters, make sure that they're all cleared up and clean. I'll make sure the trash gets out, the recycle is to the recycling bin, do all of that, put the toilet seats down, right? I'll make the bed, and I'll 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 even put on those 27 extra pillows that, I don't know why they're there. All of those things, and listen, listen, here's the thing. Not because I'll be in trouble if I don't. Not because I'm trying to earn some points for something. But because I desire to have the best for my family that they can have. I do those things, and I'll do those things before they get home, because my family's worth it. That's why. I I imagine if I was single and lived alone, I wouldn't want to live that way all the time. But a few days aboard the ship alone, and you know what, there's a couple things that don't go the same way as when others come on board. Because my family is worth it. So I want the house that I help provide for them to be worthy of something that they are worth for their value. You see where I'm going with this? God has created each one of us with a body part of who we are it's reminded us through the apostle paul that you know what god himself the holy spirit lives in you it's a part of who you are it's a reminder for us that you know what there is immeasurable value and worth in every human being because god resides within us it's what gives us worth It's what makes us so precious, so important. It's why we as a church speak so strongly about the value of life. Because God resides within us. So this week then, this week look for ways that you can honor and lift others up in that. Right? When you go from this place today, hold your head high because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides within you. That is an honor, a joy, a privilege. And look for ways this week in which you can honor and lift others because they are temples of the Holy Spirit as well. When you honor them, you honor God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and and the ways that you remind us of how incredibly we are created by you in both body and soul. So Lord, in ways where maybe we have failed to honor your presence in the lives of others, forgive us. In ways where we can make corrections, show us how we may live for you. And God, we pray then, that you would lead us forth in ways in which we see the beautiful ways that we've been created to follow you because you live within each one of us. Lord, lead us in that. We pray this in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.